0: In March, the Utah Foundation put out a new edition in our Utah Social Capital series focused on the topic of social cohesion. On maybe the most important metric, Utah came out on top nationally. On another, Utah stands alone among Western states. You'll hear senior analyst Christopher Collard and I discuss those findings and more in this edition of Utah Thrives, the Utah Foundation podcast. I'm Peter Reichard. Christopher, we have a new report out called The Soil of Common Ground, Social Cohesion in Utah. To begin with, what do we mean by the phrase social cohesion?
1: Um, there's kind of a lot of ways you can define social cohesion. Some people focus on you know, having the absence of some sort of societal conflict, um, something based on wealth or ethnicity or race or gender. Kind of our focus tends to be a little bit more focused on people having a sense that they're kind of engaged in a common enterprise. Maybe they're facing shared challenges and they're all kind of members of the same community.
0: So the things that kind of, I guess, transcend things like political outlook or ethnicity or things like that
1: well and and like you can definitely see kind of diverse opinions among a a population but we're we're looking at are there things that kind of bring people together despite those differences yeah
0: well certainly the most important of the metrics that we looked at seem to be the strength of the middle class we'll come back to that in a little bit i'd like to first look at the other two metrics one of them is we looked at the percentage of children with limited english proficiency and we also looked at the share of adults with limited english proficiency first of all why does this metric matter
1: so i mean we're looking at social capital that i mean that's um building bonds between people uh letting people kind of leverage their social networks to find jobs to improve their situation in community to get help you know if they hit a hard rough patch in their lives um so we're kind of looking at you know how available are available are these networks for people to fall back on i mean it's, it's common sense that that speaking the same language is kind of a part of, of being able to interact with somebody and kind of build their social capital and so previous previous research on social capital is kind of linked you know they've they've kind of hit this interesting point about speaking you know communities that speak have a large number of people who speak a different language and so sometimes you'll see higher levels of social capital among you know subgroups that speak a non-dominant language but then you'll see lower levels of, of social capital among the broader community at large and so that's kind of what we're looking at here is you know if you if you don't speak english in utah you're you're at a dis- disadvantage in many ways of, of building up your social connections and and kind of leverage those interactions for your benefit
0: sure it would seem to limit your participation in economic life as well. So well, I mean, it's not just economic
1: division. life, but it's it's your participation in political life, you know, to some degree, yeah. you're gonna be limited in your social life as well. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's funny, there's that, that expression, we speak the same language as a way of meaning that you connect with somebody. And, but in this case, we're literally talking about speaking the same language. We've looked at both children and adults. What did we find? How does Utah compare? Are there any, interesting trends over time or is it really just a matter of comparisons to other states
1: so if we're talking about uh kids you know under 18 we've actually had a, a kind of a shrinking share of Utah's that that are not um proficient in english and, and you know that's a, that's a good sign um but over the past um five years or so it's kind of leveled off around around two percent and so compared to the rest of the nation utah is kind of on the lower end of things um we're definitely below average know, that that,
0: certainly seems to have implications, I would think. Um, I mean, 2% when you look at it statewide, that seems like a pretty manageable number. But I would imagine if you were a particular school system, for instance, where a lot of that 2% might be concentrated, that it might be a bit more of a challenge.
1: You're exactly right. I mean, having children with limited English proficiency is definitely the, you know, the biggest problem there is, is how well can they interact with the school system? You know, how well can the school system serve those students? And like, what's the impact on their education because of that limited limited proficiency?
0: You know, it's interesting, Christopher, a few years ago, you may recall we put out a report looking at various subgroups of students and the funding levels that were attached to certain needs, student needs. And one of those was English language proficiency. We compared Utah's investment in, in kids with lower with lower English language proficiency to other states in schools, and um, we actually found that even even with the low overall um, per pupil spending, that we had rather low spending in that category. So it really felt as though this is low hanging fruit. You know, if if that's the one thing that's holding these kids back, and it may not be, but if it is, then uh, really would be, behoove our state to invest in making sure that these kids have the solid programming they need to bring their english up to speed
1: and kind of investing in kids early is is definitely one of the the cheapest ways to to kind of have a stage in intervention that will you know benefit them in their personal lives um as they grow up and are are able to better interact with the broader economy and and, and culture but also you know it like it there's, there's returns to the broader community as well as they're better able to participate in, in the society and the economy you know, that benefits everyone else as well.
0: Sure, so we reap those returns over time. So we're below average when we look at kids in terms of problems with English language proficiency, but what about adults? So we're also
1: below average with adults. And, and that's, this is a little bit interesting because um, the average is, is kind of high. So I mean, there's only 12 states above average. And, and part of that is just because the states that are above average are, are the biggest in the nation. You know, there's, there's California, Texas, New York, New Jersey, Florida. I mean, so these are where, you know, there's a large share of, of non-English speaking. The, these, are, these are the states in which there's a large share of non-English speaking residents. I um, mean, they kind of drag the, the United States average up. Um, so, I mean, Utah, sure. you know, we're, we're in the top half of the states, but we're still below average. Um, gotcha. And so, I mean, that was that was something kind of interesting. We're kind of in the middle regarding uh, other and western states, and it this isn't a number that's that's been changing very fast. It's it's been you know maybe there's been a slight decline over the past fifteen years, but it, it hasn't been much. It's been you know just above five percent for the past fifteen years.
0: So when you look at it, we're we're below average on this one, but we're still in the, the top half of states. Whereas with the children, not only are we You know, below average, we're also in probably the bottom third of the states, what is interesting to see with the adults is that if you look at some of our neighboring states like Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona. You know they're kind of in that top 10 top 12 range above average, and so we are kind of in a neighborhood where um, there, there are some challenges with English language proficiency in some of these states.
1: It, it is interesting, you can, you know, if you're looking at a, a map of the Intermountain West, you'll see southern states tend to have, you know, have a higher level of um, non-English speaking residents, while Montana has a, a very, you know, another northern states have much fewer. And you sure, yeah, kind of Montana is right really one of
0: that. the lowest in the country. Wyoming and Montana are both in the bottom 10. I think My, Montana has the second lowest um, proportion of adults with English language issues, so very interesting to see that we looked at another metric of the share of our population born in the state. So what did we find here? First of all, why does this metric even matter?
1: So, I mean, again, we're kind of looking at, at networks and your ability to, to use those networks to your benefit. I mean, so growing up in the state, you're gonna have a feel for like where things are, how to get your access to resources, but also like, you know who are the people you can talk to? What are the resources you know available? And and also, you know, the longer you live in a state, the, the bigger and, and kind of more dense your, your social networks will be in that location. Um, so, you know, we're looking here, you know, people who are born here, it's not the perfect measure, but it it kind of gives us an idea of the grassroots that kind of grows up as people are born here, live here, and, and kind of develop their lives and their social networks here.
0: Now, with this one, we found something really interesting. Utah is unique in the region. Talk about that
1: yeah so if we look at utah at the national level you know utah doesn't really stand out much we're kind of in in the middle of the pack maybe slightly higher than average in terms of of our residents who were born in utah but but utah really does stand out when you compare to the rest of the rest of the the mountain states um you know where the, the i mean the western states they are a target for people on the move you know we have Growing economies, we have a, a great outdoor lifestyle, and so it's kind of an attractive place for a lot of people. So, it, as a as a region at large, we 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 kind of are on the low end of people who are, are born in the state. But Utah, you know, out of those mountain states, is it definitely has the highest share of people who living here who are born here.
0: Not just the mountain states; all all western states looks like we've got. You know, we're the one state that's above. Above average and um, and in the top half in terms of that population, so it really is interesting to see. What are some of your thoughts as to why that would be the case?
1: One thought is that Utah is the fastest growing state, partially because people move in, but partially because you know here in Utah we have a lot of a lot of children. We're kind of bumping up that number every time you know we have another kid. Another another thought is is Utah definitely has a large share of, of members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, it's, you know, the, the church's headquarters here, headquarters here in Utah. And, and a lot of the culture kind of uh, uh is, is organized around the role of, of the church in people's lives. And so that's something that's really unique about Utah that you won't find in, in almost any other state. Um, and that could be something that, that keeps people here in Utah, or if they leave eventually draws them back.
0: You know, one of the things that, um, we were talking about this with some of our board members, and one of the ideas that they suggested was that maybe it had something to do with the robust collection of post-secondary institutions we have here in the state.
1: Utah has a lot of a lot of good things going for it. Um, we do have a very affordable secondary education colleges and universities compared to a lot of other states we have a high rate of economic growth some of our board mentioned board members brought this up but in the past there was this narrative about how if you wanted to get a good job you might have to leave utah to kind of develop your career and 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 because there weren't a lot of a lot of really good opportunities here but that's that's not something that's really the case anymore here in utah uh, you know we have one of the most diverse economies we have really one of the growing economies a really low unemployment rate And it's probably also kind of what what brings a lot of other people here as well.
0: One observation to make in all of this, however, is that a large in state or native population, native born population doesn't translate into economic growth or a robust economy. We look at some of the states that are the very highest and they're not necessarily economic powerhouses. Right
1: yeah and and that like maybe some of that is is you know if you have an economy that is is not doing well is stagnating a little bit i mean you're not going to draw people there um you're not going to bring in any any new blood and and kind of it's going to be the people who are most attached to the the area that kind of stay around or the least able to leave
0: now let's move to the, the the other metric And certainly, I think we would both agree that this metric is the most important. It has the most far-reaching consequences. And that is essentially the size of our middle class. What what was the metric we used exactly, and why does that metric matter?
1: You know, measuring the middle class is always a little bit tricky. If you you ask Americans, you know, are you part of the middle class, you get like 70 or 80% of, of people claim to be in the middle class. You know, we have this... This narrative about being American kind of is, you know, we're a middle class area and, and people who live here are in the middle class. So we, we didn't want to just kind of ask people where, where they place themselves. We wanted to try and get a more more precise measure of middle class. So what we did is in each state, we took the, the median household and then we look, we included everybody who, you know, we defined the upper limit of middle class as, as twice that in median income. And the lower end of middle class is two thirds of that income. And, you know, so we, we took that, those kind of, those uh, residents kind of on either side of the median and, and kind of labeled them as middle class. And and then we kind of compared, you know, the middle classes of each state.
0: Why does it matter? Why does it matter to have a robust middle class?
1: So, I mean, when we talk about middle class, um, like one of the things we're also talking about is, is income inequality um so i mean if we're middle class and if we're looking you know if we say you know this state has a large middle class it, it kind of translates in many ways to you know this state has a lower level of income inequality and you know income in there's a lot a whole lot of research that kind of looking into income inequality it's been linked to poor health quality it's it's been linked to lower lower expected lifespans um a less effective lower income workforce Lower levels of education, lower levels of social mobility, and so in many ways, you know, having a strong, having a strong, robust middle class um, helps an area, in this case, Utah, avoid all, a lot of these problems that are that are linked to you know, having a large level of income inequality.
0: It almost sounds like if you have a bigger middle class, you almost have a happier society. If I could just put one overarching word on what you've said and. It's interesting to consider that when we think about our nation as a whole, going back to half a century ago, we had, had as a nation a much larger middle class, and uh, it's been in, in decline nationally. Does that mean that maybe we're becoming less happy?
1: Maybe. Yeah. So larger economic stratification means that we'll probably be facing a lot of headwinds. There, there are going to be some challenges that will emerge as a society that we're going to have to, we're going to, have to face um, as a result of that.
0: How do we how do we look on this metric?
1: So Utahs definitely has the looks really good. We're the top in the nation, um, followed you know by Wyoming and Idaho. Um, in fact, you know, almost all of the the western states with the exception of New Mexico do pretty well on on this metric.
0: So we live in a middle class neighborhood in Utah.
1: and and we're the best of it.
0: Christopher, presumably the robust middle class is not evenly distributed throughout Utah. So you no. might go to one county, or one city and, or township and have a stronger middle-class. What, do you know what the most middle-class place in Utah is?
1: The most middle-class place in Utah happens to be the place that I live, which is Kearns. Part of that may be just because we're not a very big, a very big place to to begin with. And and it's mostly just a a bunch of residential houses, single unit family houses. But definitely there's a, there's some, definitely some variation across, you know, geography. Um, i recently participated in a conference kind of looking at, at transportation modes across specifically salt lake county this conference kind of had a tour where we started out in in south salt lake and we ended up um near sugar house and one of the things that that kind of came up is is the differences in in life expectancy in the two different areas that we started you know in this area that we started in south salt lake the life expectancy was 76 years while the space we ended up in in near sugarhouse park was you know the life expectancy was 83 years i mean so it was a we we took a three mile trek and and we you know we could see such a a big difference in kind of outcomes that are related to income inequality.
0: One of the things that you see on a national basis in terms of income inequality is a an urban rural divide, and then b significant degree of stratification in our major cities. I think Washington D.C. maybe may have the most economic stratification of of any place in the country. Um, So when you think about those two things happening broadly, what are the factors maybe in play in Utah? Does the fact that we have a smaller rural population perhaps play into that on a statewide basis? Does the fact that we don't have giant traditional urban core play into it at all? What are your thoughts on all of that?
1: That's a great question. This is this is actually something I've spent kind of a long time thinking about. Fifteen years ago, I spent some time in Brazil and one of the places I, I stayed there was in Sao Paulo, which is, is Brazil's biggest city. And the, the first place I stayed there, my introduction to Brazil um, was this this slum uh, called Paraisopolis. And it was right next to uh, kind of a neighborhood called Morumbi. And so this slum, you know, there's, if you look up income inequality in Brazil, like you'll see this picture. Um, You know, I woke up every morning, I could look out my apartment building. And I saw this picture where you have this slum on one side, and then there's a wall. And on the other side of the wall, there's a tennis court. And this, you know, this penthouse building with with 15 or so floors and each level of this penthouse building has a pool on, you know, a deck with a pool on each level. Um, And so it was just really, really startling. And it made me think a lot about you know, this issue of income inequality and and how it develops. I mean, we don't have anything quite so severe here in Utah definitely, but but there's still differences and it's it's something that I haven't I haven't really been able to figure out. I've wondered if if some of it is is related to kind of Utah placing a lot of focus on on education and and that being something of an equalizing factor. But it's definitely a, a very interesting question that that I wish I understood better
0: and certainly when we think about the keys to preserving, a robust middle class, the top of your list has to be educational attainment. I I mean, mean? that's,
1: that's the traditional solution we in America have relied on. We like to think, you know, we like to believe in the American dream. And and one, you know, one of the two keys into the American dream is education, public education, a quality education can, can, you know, lift you from one economic level to another, you know, and and that kind of brings up the second economic, the second main key to the American dream is, is entrepreneurship. Um, right. which also Utah also has you know high levels of entrepreneurship as well. So maybe that's another, another key in why Utah does so well in terms of its middle class and its economic equality.
0: Well, a lot to consider here. Thank you very much, Christopher.
1: Thanks for having me, Peter. It's been
0: fun to talk about this. This has been Utah Thrives, the Utah Foundation podcast. Follow our work at utahfoundation.org.